Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the finished work of our Savior Jesus. And we love him. We want to become more like him. Would you continue to work out uh, your good pleasure, your will in us, uh, that we may think and do um, uh, according to your word and according to uh, how you want us to live. So we love you, we thank you, and we pray for the presence and the great activity of your Holy Spirit in this, uh, this time of teaching, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Leviticus, holiness. Maybe you kind of started seeing a little bit more about the holiness uh, aspect this time. So a quick overview of 1 through 16, uh, key verse is 1144, be holy as I am holy, God speaking. 1 to 16 seem to cover the responsibilities of the priest and the priesthood, and then 17 to 27 seem to cover the responsibilities of the people. So just kind of big breakdown. 1 to 16, sort of the priests, then the rest of the book is sort of the people. Uh, we're going to talk about um, uncleanness tonight. So your question and my question, there's God, He's come to reside with us in the tabernacle, Exodus 40. Your question, how do I approach this holy God? And so God, through Moses, gives us three ways that we are to approach Him. First, through acceptable sacrifices. We looked at that in the first seven chapters. Second, through a holy priesthood. We looked at that last time. Tonight, we're going to look at by avoiding defilement and maintaining cleanness before Him. So how am I going to approach Him? I'm going to come with sacrifices. Let's say that could be every day, but maybe it wasn't quite every day. When I bring a sacrifice, I'm going to have to enlist the help of a priest. And then how do I, Monday through Sunday, how do I live in a way that I could approach this holy God? I have to avoid defilement. God is really communicating his own, um, he is clean, completely clean, and holy, and we are not. And he really presses home that idea in these chapters. So what's the point? The Israelites had to be careful regarding what they took in, like into their mouths, and what they got too close to. So I had to watch what I ate, and I had to watch how close I got to things. Because if I ingested the wrong thing, I became unclean. If I touched the wrong thing or got close to the wrong thing, I would become unclean. That's a bad thing. So there's the point for tonight. The Israelites had to be careful regarding what they took in and what they got too close to. Big idea for tonight, be holy as I am holy. God wants them to be holy as he is holy. And so he begins to say, sacrifices we've talked about, priesthood we've talked about, avoiding daily defilement. You want to approach me? You've got to be clean. So be holy as I am holy. Or you might 
want to adjust, you might want to think about it a slightly different way and say, be as conscious of cleanness as I am, says God. Be as conscious as, of cleanness as I am. I know we can't be, but if you'll start allowing him to heighten your level of cleanness, awareness of cleanness, then mission accomplished. So let's talk a little bit about defilement and cleanness. For an Israelite, God's holiness required daily purity and cleansing from contamination. Remember the priests, the first thing they would do is offer sacrifices every morning and then again every evening. Defilement was to be scrupulously avoided, both ritual impurity and physical impurity. What he ate, handled, or came too close to was a means to and measure of his holiness. So if I ate the right stuff, if I didn't touch anything that was unclean or defiled, and I didn't, in fact, come too close to any of that stuff, then I would have been, in a sense, more holy than somebody who didn't care as much. Okay? So it was a means to and a measure of my holiness. And so, in the Old Testament, there had to be levels of cleanness under the covenant. The innermost, this, this one is perfectly clean. The bullseye is perfectly clean. This is where God is. So this, their whole camp, their whole, as we saw the lessons from the tabernacle, the whole camp is set up to teach them a worldview. And the worldview begins with God at the center of it. Now, in the center is holiness, complete cleanness, because that's where God lived. He lived in the tabernacle. That part, completely clean. Well, what was the next ring out? Well, the next ring out was clean. Now, clean is what was inside the camp. If I were clean, I could be inside the camp. Excuse me, I said the, the maximum cleanness is God, but that's, think of it as holiness. So holiness, next ring is cleanness. Then the next ring is what's unclean. If I'm unclean, I eat something wrong, I touch something wrong, I get too close to something wrong, I become defiled. I become unclean, and now I have to step outside the camp. Now, we're not just talking about stepping outside the tabernacle. We're talking about stepping outside the camp. I can't even be in the camp. See ya, honey. See ya, kids. I touched a carcass. <laughs> See you in a week. <laughs> outside the camp you go. So you wanted to be very, very careful. You don't want to eat anything or touch anything or get too close to anything because then you can't even live in the camp anymore. you got to go outside the camp. Interesting, this idea of clean. Remember back in Genesis 7, God tells Noah, remember that's the guy with the boat? 
he tells Noah to take seven pair of clean animals with him. And you went, huh, wonder how he knows what clean animals are. But he did. So this idea of cleanness has been around a long time for God. So there's holy, there's clean, and then there's unclean. You want to at least, you can't get to holy. Who's the only people who can get to holy? God and the priests. But I can be clean. And so that's where I want to live. I want to live in clean. I don't want to get into unclean. Because that means I'm outside the camp. So what did defilement do? Obviously, it defiled. Uh, It contaminated yourself, the camp, and the tabernacle. It basically left me on the outside, outside of the camp, looking in. It distanced, put distance in between me and God. It reduced our intimacy, our, the intimacy of our relationship, because I'm further away from Him. It hindered me. It put publicly approaching God, worshiping Him, and serving Him off limits. If I can't come into the camp, I can't give a sacrifice. If I can't give a sacrifice, I'm stuck, and I'm not able to worship. So you don't want to be outside the camp. Hopefully pretty clear. These codes taught devout Israelites that defilement touched every area of their lives. If you're trying to impress a people, uh, really this is, this is about sin, but if you're going to impress them on the way to that by talking about defilement, You start telling me what I can and can't eat and what I can and can't touch and what I can and can't even get too close to, and I begin to get the picture, this is a big deal to God. God's holiness demanded cleansing and purifying from defilement before worship. If I'm going to worship God, which is what He wanted and what I wanted, then I've got to at least be in the camp. And I've got to know what he wants and how to approach him. So chapters 11 through 16 then begin to uh, explain in some fairly graphic and great detail uh, what got me unclean and how once I got unclean, how did I get clean again? So that's what 11 through 16 is about, is this is how you get unclean, and this is how you get clean again. It's like the laundry room, 11 through 16. That's how God's going to help His people understand defilement and how they have to deal with that before they come worship Him. So he starts in chapter 11 with defilement from without. Starts the defilement from without. He gave them the principles for what was clean to eat. And Laurie found a great chart on the back side of your notes. It's kind of a colored chart. It's got different, uh, it's sort of like a if-then diagram. Uh, pretty cool. So he gave them some principles for what was clean to eat. What did I get to eat? 
Well, I could eat land animals that both chew the cud and have a split hoof. I could eat those. Then he talks about certain things I can't eat because they might chew the cud, but they don't have a split hoof, or they have a split hoof, but they don't chew the cud. So, land animals. Then he goes on to sea animals, and it had to have both fins and scales. If it doesn't have fins and scales, it's unclean. Don't eat it. So you might think of like, um, uh, or an eel. Yeah, shrimp. If it doesn't have both fins and scales, don't eat it. They don't even eat an elephant a bite at a time. Yeah, right. Huh? Yeah, you can't eat elephants, so you can't eat it a bite at a time. Right, right. Birds and fowl, you don't eat those that are carcass and blood eaters. Things that eat blood or carcasses, don't eat those. So if you eat something on the land, it better chew the cud and have a split hoof. If you're going to eat something out of the sea, it better have both fins and scales. If it's a bird, then anything that feasts on a carcass or blood are right out. And, good news, you could still eat certain kinds of insects. Tell me about grasshoppers living in deserts. I don't know. But if it's got jointed hind legs, I'm in. <laughs> Lord, thank you for the New Testament. <laughs> Good thing most of them are forbidden because that's kind of my first thought when I get hungry. I'm going to go find me a good millipede and eat it up. So he gives them principles for what's clean and what's not clean, because what I took in from without could make me unclean and therefore send me outside the camp. Question, why were these unclean? Lots of people have written lots of books about this. And I think most of them are thinking way too hard. <laughs> Possibly for hygiene. Now, remember, all things are possible, but not all things are equally probable. All things are possible. It's possible it was for hygiene. But it's probably for reasons of obedience and teaching, just like everything else in this book is about. If this is God's diet, in other words, if God's diet is limited, because what does he, what does he eat? He only eats the sacrificial animals. So if his diet is limited, then so should yours be. To please him... I think is the key factor, and that means to enjoy his choices, not theirs. Enjoy what I pick for you, 
not whatever you pick for yourself. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Accept my choices as good, right, and best for your life. To remind them, number three, that they are set apart from defilement for him and his work at every meal. Every meal I sit down, if I'm only eating clean, then I'm reminded that I am able to worship and I am able to participate in God's work. So I'm set apart from defilement by eating only clean things, and that puts me in a position of being ready to serve Him. Number four, and to continually teach the Israelites that there are clean and unclean divisions among mankind. So there were clean animals, sorry, there were holy animals, clean animals, and unclean animals. Unclean animals, I was supposed to avoid those. Clean animals, I could eat. And then there were sacrificial animals that were holy. So there's unclean animals, clean animals, and then holy animals. The holy ones were sacrificial, the clean ones, the, I could eat them, and the unclean, uh, I wasn't supposed to eat those at all. Kind of a, it does, hopefully makes you thankful for the New Testament. Um, this, there's a lot to remember here, to be a good Israelite. You say, well, now, they sat down to a meal, and that's teaching them about being set apart from defilement and clean and able to approach God and worship God, but it's also teaching them about people? Yes. In the Israelites' worldview, there were three rings here. There was the holy ring, the clean ring, and the unclean ring. The holy people were the priests, the clean people were the Israelites, and where does that leave you and me? <laughs> In the unclean ring. <laughs> and this was exactly God's message. How do we know it was about people? Because when Peter is visiting Cornelius' house, Cornelius, Jew or Gentile, Gentile, Peter is at his house, Peter, Jew or Gentile, Jew, Jews don't eat with Gentiles, Peter's up on the roof, it's about dinner time, <laughs> sheet comes down, unclean animals in it, God says, eat, and Peter goes, oh, not me, Lord, <laughs> you know, I don't eat what's unclean. Sheet comes down, sheet goes back up, sheet comes back down. The Lord says, eat, Peter. Still, unclean animals in it. Peter, whoa, whoa not falling for that one. <laughs> no siree, thank you. You know, Lord, I've only eaten clean animals. Sheet goes up, sheet comes back down. <laughs> I love Peter. I think it would have taken me probably five. He gets it in about three. Third time it comes down, unclean animals. The Lord says to Peter, do not call unclean what the Lord has made clean. And so he goes down, he talks to Cornelius and has dinner with him. 
these animals represented kinds, classifications of people that you see worked out through the whole Old Testament. They got holy, right? That's, that's the priests and all that stuff. We got clean, <laughs> that's us. And we got unclean, and that's you. <laughs> so every time I sit down for a meal, thank you, Lord, I've avoided defilement. And I've only eaten what's clean. You can see why Peter might struggle with this a little bit. I've been taught my whole life Gentiles are unclean. In fact, I think somewhere in the Gospels they're called dogs. Hmm. Who's calling them that? The Jews. <laughs> why? Because they're unclean. You don't associate with them. That's why you walk around Samaria. You don't go through it. So he's teaching them through food about people groups also. So there's three kinds of people that are represented by these foods. He's teaching and training them about defilement. So defilement from without. What they ate and touched made a difference. There's a difference between clean and unclean animals. There was a difference between clean and unclean people. Death a carcass always defiles. So you're looking for big principles. Clean animals and unclean animals. Clean people, unclean people. Don't get around a carcass. By the time we get to Samson, Samson sees a dead lion on the side of the road and scoops some honey out of it. Samson didn't care that he had touched a carcass. Samson was actually defiled. Samson was a guy who didn't really appreciate what God was trying to teach him. So it's curious, as you, as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to say, oh, wait a minute, they're not supposed to eat that or touch that, are they? So what they ate and touched made a difference. Every meal became an opportunity to be reminded that they're chosen separate and set apart for God, His worship, and His work. Every meal, I could be reminded of this. But not only was there defilement from without, there's defilement from within. <laughs> so, chapter 12, he moves into defilement from within. I'll do a lot of summarizing in this chapter. There were postnatal discharges. For boys, the uncleanness lasted 40 days. For girls, 80. Sorry. Why? Mm. Don't know. Possibly because they're the ones who bring life. It, the, the consequence was double. The fall, remember what the fall did. The fall means defilement, rather than blessing, has been mankind's legacy to one another. What was I supposed to do, according to God, in Genesis 1.28? Fill the earth. Multiply, fill the earth. Now when we do that, we bring more defilement to the earth. We've taken the good thing God gave us, and we've wrecked it. 
even in childbirth, because of sin. The fall corrupted even an Israelite's ability to do God's will with purity. Can't do it. Can't do it. So there's a lot of defilement that comes from within, and it would have been in the camp. So, whew, what did I have to do? Congratulations, you have a baby. Get outside the camp. <laughs> wow. Would teach you a lot about defilement, though, wouldn't it? You would think. More defilement from within. In chapter 13, there was also disease and decay. So if it's not just childbirth, there's more. There's decay or disease within their bodies or even within their dwellings. Could have been a skin disease, and it's probably broader than just Hansen's disease, which is leprosy. Probably greater than that, Hansen's disease, leprosy, would have been probably a subset of that. So don't just think they were referring to leprosy. There's more skin diseases than that. Leprosy is a horrible one. So they had disease and decay within their body, and then sometimes it would get within their clothing or their housing, like mold. Whew. And what did you do? Well, you started by scraping it, and hopefully that worked. If that didn't work, you started taking out the rocks <laughs> around the spot. And if that didn't work, you had to take the whole house down, carry it and throw it out in the dump, and come back and start over. Mold. What is God teaching? Defilement. You start with a little defilement, and what happens? It contaminates and corrupts the whole dwelling. Huh. Gosh, sounds kind of like sin, doesn't it? A little bit of leaven impacts the whole loaf. The whole person. So they had disease and decay they had to worry about as well as childbirth. Disease and decay are toxic and make them unfit to dwell in God's presence. So I'm unfit to go into God's presence, but also my presence has a defiling um, toxic impact on the entire camp. And you say, wow, really? Well, do you remember some other places in the Old Testament where they go off to do battle and they get beaten? And they're finally like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what's going on here. And God says, somebody sinned. You haven't dealt with it, so you're going to lose until you deal with it. So there's a consequence to the entire nation, the entire camp, because of disease and decay and because of sin. Chapter 13. So 12 and 13, there's defilement from within. 11, defilement from without. Yet chapter 14, this is an amazing chapter. I know by this point you're going, oh, do I really have to read chapter 14? We've got through 12 and 13, and that was really hard. A lot of... Oh, a lot of defilement going on in there, and you're tempted to read chapter 14 real fast. I know you. You read chapter 14 really fast. Some guys in seminary, this is how they said they, read their, they did their reading assignment. 
chapter 14. This is amazing. And the Lord says to Moses, the following instructions are for those seeking ceremonial purification from a skin disease. Those who have been healed must be brought to the priest who will examine them at the place outside the camp. Okay, well, who has to go where? The contaminated person doesn't get to go in the camp, right? Who has to go out to them? The priest. Oh, baby. The priest then begins to uh, minister to this person. So he, the, the priest has to go outside the camp. Perhaps he doesn't have to search long to find these people. Then the priest takes the two birds and he does a sacrifice. Then the person, verse 8, has to wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe themselves in water. Now they're ceremonially clean. However, they must remain outside their tents for seven days. So on the seventh day, they can again, <laughs> woo, what a bonus, on the seventh day, they can again shave all the hair from their heads, including the hair of their beards and eyebrows. They must also wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, then there's another sacrifice, right? And he, they walk through all this stuff, uh, and then the priest is going to do some sacrifices and the um, verse 14 of chapter 14, the priest will then take some of the blood of the guilt offering and apply it to the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified. Where have we heard of that before? With the priests. Even in the midst of all of this teaching about uncleanness, chapter 14 is don't lose track of God's heart. Even in the midst of uncleanness, God's heart is for cleansing and reconsecrating such ones who had skin disease for His worship and work. And here's what's happening. The priest seeks out the leper or the person with skin disease. He offers the necessary sacrifice. The leper washes himself and waits. The leper offers sacrifices. And then the priest anoints him as a fellow priest. God treats former lepers like fellow priests. Don't lose sight of what's happening in chapter 14 because of 11, 12, and 13, and 16, uh, and 15, 15 and 16. What God is doing here is absolutely amazing. You caught skin disease. Mm, bummer, dude. You're outside the camp. Never come back. Sorry. That's not what God does. They get out, they're outside the camp, and a priest shows up. And he starts doing his ministry. And then God says, I see that healing. And anoints me, just like he did a priest. 
If that doesn't knock you out of your chair, um, I don't know. This is a, chapter 14 is amazing, what God is doing, what he's telling Moses in these chapters. See, God's heart has always been to cleanse and to bring back. It's not been to punish. It's always been, I'll step into the dirtiest, nastiest, ugliest situation, and I'll do some amazing things, and then I'm going to anoint them, and they're going to come back. Amazing, this chapter 14. So I've got defilement from without, I've got defilement from within, and hallelujah, it continues into chapter 15. And here, again, I'll do a lot of summary Um, because these are the things that are discussed in chapter 15. These are the things that defile and make a man or a woman ceremonially toxic, not just for themselves, but for the entire camp. Point three, holy activities and holy wars, later on, are going to require the self-control of abstinence to make sure that they're not defiled, because if they're defiled, who can't come to the camp? God. Well, if you're going to win a holy war and God doesn't show up, you're probably in a bad way. So there can't be defilement in the camp, so God will go with you in this holy war, and you'll be prepared to win because He'll be with you. Not to mention, it's not specifically stated exactly in here, but we'll get to it in the Old Testament, temple prostitution and other licentiousness, which means Canaanite practices, are way out of bounds, way, way, way out of bounds as far as God is concerned. So we get chapter 11, what's defilement coming from without, 12, 13, 14, 15, defilement from within. This is the stuff that's in you that's making you defiled. Well, what happens then if... So the sacrifices were for unintentional sins, right? Well, what happens if a sin has not yet been recognized? Remember when he said, when you become aware of it, then you have to offer a sacrifice. Remember that part? when you become aware of it. Could you imagine that there were some sins that the person hadn't become aware of yet? But there's sin nonetheless. Okay? How about some things that I just decided to ignore? You think there could be anybody in the camp who's done that? I'm going to guess yes. And there were certainly people in the camp who said, just try and stop me, God. It's called high-handed sins because it's like your fist is raised in God's face. I'm going to eat what I want to eat, but a stump, Lord. Here we go. I love shrimp, and I'm going to eat it. (laughs) How does God stay with these people? Because certainly there was at least, I haven't recognized sin yet. There's got to be some of those in a camp of however many there were. 
There's got to be some of the other kind. Eh, it's not that bad. I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to offer a sacrifice or anything else. God and I have an agreement. Or, I love me a good shrimp boil, Lord, and you aren't going to take it away from me. What did they do because there's sin, defilement, etc. in the camp all the time? What does God do? Chapter 16. God's already thought of this. Annually, they have a day of atonement. And he gives them instructions. It's sort of a, um, an annual, um, well, it's, it's an annual day of fasting and solemnity. It's not a day of celebration. This is a solemn day because God is coming to collect the payment for the sins committed in the past year. That's why he's coming. That's what this day is about. He came to collect the payment for all the sins he'd passed over the previous year. A couple of goats involved. Uh, first, there was the goat for atonement. And what did the people do? Someone put their hand on the goat's head, and that goat was sacrificed because that was the payment, the payment price. What did they do with the other goat? Sent it off into the wilderness. It was called the escape goat, shortened to scape. <laughs> it's like a good southern drawl. It's a scapegoat. <laughs> Not the escape goat, but the scapegoat. <laughs> and supposedly, the person who drove this thing away was looking for a cliff to walk the goat off of. Because what didn't you want to see? That goat coming back into the camp. <laughs> Why? Because it carried all, my, all the sins of the whole camp. You wanted that thing gone and done with. You did not want that goat to come back into the camp. Even in the Old Testament, they had an idea. Remember from the psalm? He's separated your sins as far from you as the east is from the west. They had this idea. The sins are no longer on them. They're on that goat, and the goat, their hope, the goat is taken off to death. Sound at all New Testament to you? Should, because <laughs> this is our Lord Jesus. Remember we talked about the three great imputations, the imputation of the sin of Adam to the entire human race? The second imputation, the imputation of the sin of mankind to the Lord Jesus? The third imputation is the righteousness of Christ to everyone who believes. What was laying my hand on the head of a goat and confessing the sins of the people on top of it? That's imputation. You're imputing the sins onto that goat. They had, they had all these ideas. 
They just didn't know the Lord Jesus yet. <laughs> Amazing. And this annual um, event seemed to atone for all the sins for one year. So it's as if um, uh, God has a sin visa card, <laughs> and he allows them to charge it up for one year. And at the end of the year, he comes, and he looks at the balance, and he says, let's take care of this. And the way he takes care of it, he says, I'm just going to roll this over into the next year. So the next year, so let's just say they had accumulated one sin buck the first year. He comes back the second year, and he goes, okay, another sin buck. I'm going to add that to the first year. So now what do you owe me? Two years worth. Does it again. Now what do you owe me? Three. Now what do you owe me? Year after year after year, this charge card accumulates more and more and more debt from sin. And you think, what in the world did God do with it? Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bible open or your phone, go to Romans chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. I know it. You have to keep turning to the right. Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start in a very familiar place to you, Romans 3.23. God writes this through Paul, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Do you think they were getting that in the Old Testament, you've fallen short of God's standard of holiness? Yes. Remember, there's holy, then there's clean, then there's unclean. I can never get holy because I'm not a priest. So I can't get to holy. But look at what he says. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For He was looking... That means Old Testament times. For, uh, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. What happened to all the sins on that sin visa? Paid in full for the saints of God in the Old Testament at the cross. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. 
In fact, if you go back up to verse, the end of verse 20, just above that, it says, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Why was the law put in place? To show Israel how sinful they were. They didn't get it, though. They said, that's good. I can do this. But they couldn't. So what happened to all those sins from the Old Testament saints? Paid. Done. It's not coming back on them. It's already been paid for. That debt has been expunged for everyone who believed from Adam all the way up to the Lord Jesus' time. So the Day of Atonement. Uh, this is the one, remember uh, chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. What were those two guys doing? They seemed to have put incense on, the, on some coals in their own little incense burners, and they went behind the curtain to see what, was, what it was all about. And then they found out. <laughs> and it didn't go well for them. So let's summarize uncleanness. It came from without and from within. What I took in or what I got too close to made a huge difference in my ability to worship. I was to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. Personal defilement, I became unfit to approach God in worship and had to stay outside the camp. Corporate defilement, a toxic person would defile the whole camp. And I was accountable to a priest and needed cleansing. That's what I needed in this whole uncleanness issue. Well, tonight's big idea is be holy as I am holy. Let's look at some applications in the next few minutes. Avoiding defilement. What I take in or what I get too close to makes a difference to my ability to worship or serve. Psalm 66, verse 18. We've talked about this one before. David writes, if I had cherished sin in my heart, God would not have listened. 1 Peter 3, 7. Peter talks about how I'm to treat my spouse, my wife, because if I don't, he's not going to listen to my prayers. What I take in or what I get too close to makes a difference to my ability today to worship and serve God. I am to walk, which is why Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I am to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. Personal defilement, while it doesn't impact my relationship with God, it does impact my fellowship with Him and my worship. And you say, well, what's Matthew 5, 23 and 24? Well, you can flip there real fast, or you can be reminded that Jesus talks about uh, if you have something against your brother, or if your brother has something against you, 
Leave your offering there at the altar. Go rec be reconciled to your brother. Then come present your offering. God takes this very seriously even today. Corporate defilement. A toxic person still defiles today. 1 Corinthians 5. There's some rascal running around in the Corinthian church, and Paul says, kick the immoral brother out. He's bringing you down. But he also says, keep a rope tied around him and make sure you know where he is because you want to be able to pull him back in when he repents. Because Paul knows once you get out of under, from under the protective umbrella of a New Testament church, you're off in the wilderness. You have no spiritual protection over you. That's why he kicks them out of the church, is he says, let Satan deal with them. Then they'll repent, and we need to pull them back in. Church discipline is about purity, but it's also about this stuff, clean and unclean. And the accountability of community is still important. If I had... Um, mm, Let's just say I had cheated my Israelite brother in those days. And I think, nah, it wasn't that big a deal. Anybody else <laughs> maybe going to say something? Probably. Probably the person I cheated is going to bring it to somebody's attention. So there's an accountability that comes with community. That is still important today. So avoiding defilement. Oh, I got a, a little short thing here on regarding Christians and food. Jesus declared all foods clean. I gave you a reference from Mark. We've already talked about this one. Uh, from heaven, God declared all foods clean to Peter after Pentecost. Point. Food is no longer the means or the measure of my holiness. What is? The imputation of Christ's righteousness to me when I believed. That's the means and the measure of my holiness today. Not what I eat, what I drink, or even what day I worship. None of that is a means or measure of my holiness like it was back then. We have the freedom to eat and drink anything we want as long as our consciences are clear. I'll give you a couple of cross-references there. So Christians and food. Uh, you can choose what you want to eat. I'd encourage you to eat healthily, health, healthy. It's got to be an adverb though, right? So eat, verb, health, healthily. Yeah, anyway, eat healthy food. I would encourage you to eat healthy food. But if somebody else loves Twinkies and they want to eat a whole box of Twinkies, not probably a good idea, but they can do that. You shouldn't stop them from eating a whole box of Twinkies. Uh, you might want to have your 9-1 dialed and then all you got to push is one because they're probably going to, something's going to happen to them when they finish that last Twinkie. But you have the freedom to eat or drink anything as long as your conscience is clear and that it doesn't cause a weaker brother, keyword, to stumble. 
So, defilement through actions. I broke it up into actions and attitudes and community. So, defilement through actions. Question for you to ask yourself. What am I taking in today? Through my mouth? Through my ears? Or through my eyes? What am I taking in today? Because defilement from without will still defile me. What am I getting too close to today in my actions or in my thoughts or in my heart? And to think that your sin only impacts you, we should be learning this lesson from all of this stuff happening around in the camp in Old Testament times. Am I bringing my secret toxicity into the worship service? Do I know it? Because hardly anything could be more selfish. If you know what it is and you bring it into the worship service, you're impacting the entire group. Starting to feel the bar raised a little bit here? If, if they're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, is their calling the same as ours? No. Ours is much higher. If that was true for them, what's true for us? Now, it is not a means or measure of my holiness, but how do I walk in a manner worthy of my calling? Now I have the Holy Spirit, which is what we've been doing this whole sermon series on. <laughs> how does the Spirit of God empower me to walk in such a way? Well, first I've got to desire it. If I'm not desiring it, that's a great place to start praying. But asking yourself, what am I taking in today? What am I getting too close to today? Am I bringing my secret toxicity into the worship service? And you say, well, like what? Envy? Greed? Anger? Lust? Worry? You want me to go on? I'm going to stop. How about defilement through attitude? What's my heart attitude toward honoring God's holiness in public worship? What's my attitude? Did they have to think about their attitude? I'm going to guess yes. There's God, holy God, sitting right there. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Pretty well saw him. It would have been clear. This is no one to be messed with. You approach him the way he says. And you worship. What's my heart attitude toward honoring God's holiness in public worship? Have I become thoughtless about my worship? Is it just something I do? Has my worship become routine or mechanical? Am I even cavalier, haughtily careless about it from time to time? Do I leave time before the service to have my heart cleansed appropriately for worship? The most important thing you do and I do every week is to worship God in spirit and in truth. The most important thing we do. 
To worship in, in spirit and truth. Remember, Jesus says, for such ones the Father is looking for, those who worship Him in spirit and truth. We are them. <laughs> he wants to be worshiped in spirit and in truth by us. So I can be defiled through my actions. I can be defiled through my attitude. And I have a real need, a need for real community. As a nation of priests, we're called on to help each other in our walks with God. Question, who are you accountable to? You may have a group. You may have a person. Who are you accountable to? Galatians chapter 6, first three verses tell me about how I am to walk with other believers and how you all are to walk with me. We're supposed to be about redeeming and restoring. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. What Cain got wrong is when he said, am I my brother's keeper? Like, I'm not. Wrong answer, Cain. You are your brother's keeper. We are each other's keepers. Accountability. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there needs to be accountability. And there needs to be a love for one another. And I would not recommend, I would insist that whoever you're accountable, uh, accountable to is same sex. Don't go cross. It doesn't work. Who are you in an accountable relationship with? Again, I don't care if it's a person or a group, but you need to be accountable to someone. And if someone in that, let's just say that group, if someone in that group asks a question, are you going to answer honestly? For next time, don't wait till the end. Read Leviticus 17 to 27. Ten chapters. Two chapters Monday through Friday. You can do it. You can do it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are holy and you have called us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, the calling you gave us, the calling you drew us to yourself and empowered us with your spirit and imputed the righteousness of your own Son to us. And I'm always reminded of the verse, to whom much is given, much is expected. Thank you that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness toward us. Would you continue to work in our hearts to desire what you desire, to walk in your ways, to know your word, and to treat others uh, in the, the best manner we possibly can? Would you do that, please, not for our sake, but for yours, not for our glory or credit, but for yours? Would you do that, please, in Jesus' name? Amen.